doctor's mandate on masks expired. And um, so our policy is you, you don't have to wear a mask. If you don't want to, you are more than welcome to wear a mask if, if it's better for you. So it's, it's, that's it. Just like, did that simplify things? So it's okay with us. Uh, Brenda and I continue to give blood. We still have antibodies, so we're, we're trying to make the most of our deal with uh, COVID to help somebody else. And there's a lot of people doing that, so we kind of have a natural immunity. But, um, and I'm not going to do any announcements on the vaccine. That's up to you as well. How's that? Is that pretty safe to say it that way? Uh, well, we're going to jump right into God's Word. I'm going to uh, take off something from last Sunday. We celebrated the Lord's resurrection, and now we're heading into the next big day, and that's Pentecost Sunday, which is uh, four weeks or uh, you know 50 days uh, past the uh, Passover meal. And so, in light of the Lord's resurrection, here's a question I want to pose to you: What does the future hold for you in light of the Lord's resurrection? And I know we can say, well, heaven, heaven uh, is secured for us through his resurrection. But I want us to dig a little bit deeper into that. When we think about that, we have various things comes to our minds about our future. Uh, and what you think about your future is related to your age, right? It's related to your age. Our future is kind of shrunk, hasn't it, Brenda? We, we're dealing more with next week next month and next year and beyond that we're just like okay you know 2022 is going to be a really special year for us i'm making plans for that summer and you know i'm planning on still being here and unless jesus comes and i'll take that too right but when we think about the future you're planning your future and when you're young you just can't wait to get into high school and when you're in high school you can't wait to become a senior and you're just asking, if you're like me, you're asking, Lord, please do not come until I graduate. I don't know why that was so important to me. Well, he's really delayed it from that. I'm sorry I prayed that for all of y'all. But, and then it was, Lord, please don't come until I get married. And please let us have children. And, and all of that, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm just planning. I want to experience all of that. And after you start having kids and your kids start having kids, how the future changes. And what you think about is no longer about those markers for you. It becomes the markers for your grandchildren and how their birthdays matter to you more so than your own birthdays matter to you and what's going on in their lives. Am I right? And so in light of that, what does the resurrection of Jesus affect that? And last week we talked about the handful of experiences. It was appearances that he had with uh, his followers um, you know throughout the, the gospels and the references through the epistles and also you have this uh, last book of the bible that probably a lot of people don't read it because it's kind of like got a lot of strange things in it but the apocalypse is what is translated the revelation the unfolding the unveiling of who Jesus really is post resurrection post glorification so these bodies that we live in is really the only way we can live out the purpose of God. So I'm going to kind of focus on the bodily resurrection of Jesus. And what does that mean for us physically in these bodies? I'm going to take you to Matthew 20. I'm taking you to a couple places where Jesus appeared 
to people. And this is uh, the point that he's making. He makes the point that the body that he has after he was raised from the dead is the same body. Is it different? Oh, absolutely it's different. But it's a point that he makes that this is me. This is the same body. Yes, it's different, but it's the same body just reconstituted. So if you turn to Matthew chapter 28, I want you to see something about this unique body that Jesus was raised with and how that affects us as we look forward to our own resurrected state of being. This is Matthew 28 verse 9. And suddenly Jesus met them greetings. He said, I like that, don't you? <laughs> These women are leaving the, the watching the, the uh, seeing the garden tomb empty and they're leaving and all of a sudden he's there and he says, greetings. And they came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Now you have another place where, I think it's in John's gospel where Mary, he has this personal encounter with Mary and Mary grabs, bows down and grabs his feet like these ladies did, and maybe this is an expansion of that experience. But one translation said, he said, don't touch me. Well, we know that's not exactly the, the correct rendering. He was saying, don't hold on to me because I've got, I've got a mission to do. I'm not going to stay here, but I've got things to do. And he didn't tell these ladies, don't touch me, when they grabbed his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And if you go to Luke, Luke is even more specific. This is in Luke chapter 24, verse 36. And uh, I want you to just get the feel of this. Luke gives us so much about that first day, that Sunday, the people that see him that morning right after the, the ladies get there. He uh, walks with this couple for a while up to the road to Emmaus. He's getting there at night, and, and they don't recognize him. He's, different. He's that different that these people are not recognizing him right off. So it's not exactly the same appearance, but they realize who it is when he begins to pray over the food and bless the meal. And when their eyes are open, he disappears. And then they hustle back to where the apostles are meeting. They, they take that journey in the night. And this is what Luke says that night while they're telling the disciples like, yeah, we, he was with us. He, we knew who he was when he prayed over the food, when he blessed the meal. And this is picking it up in verse 36. And while they were still talking about this, this couple from Emmaus, while they were still talking about it, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do you doubt, why does doubt rise in your minds? Look at my hands, my feet, it is I myself. Listen to how Jesus is so specific, like this is not a new me, this is me reconstituted. He says, this is me. Look at my hands, look at my feet, it is I myself. Touch me and see. You see, he didn't have an objection to people touching him, so his body had that be material had to be of substance, and they were still not getting it. In their minds, they were still seeing an aberration, something other than the real Jesus. And he says this, look at my hands, look at my feet, as I myself touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones. What does he conveniently leave out of that? Blood. 
And we just sang about the blood. The blood was no longer needed in his body. The redemptive blood that he shed on the cross was for the remission of our sins. But we need blood now to keep these bodies alive. So the body reconstituted in Jesus was flesh, was bones, but obviously different. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they, were, while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, what did he ask them? Do you have something to eat? Isn't it interesting that he's going to prove to them that it's really him by eating? That's what we all like, right? We all like eating. And they had food. Obviously, they had food. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. So what does this tell you about the body that Jesus... It, this, this is um, kind of hard to describe and hard to ponder how all of this is happening but he's material, he's flesh, he's bones, he can eat a broiled fish when he doesn't need to eat anything to stay alive. He could eat food by not, while not needing it. And this means something. Isn't there some kind of marriage supper of the Lamb planned for us? That is not just a figure of speech. That is going to be a feast. That is going to be a celebration. Even Jesus said, to his disciples, I'm not going to have this communion meal, this Passover meal with you until we have it again in my kingdom. So he's saying in, in the world out there, the celestial world that we are going to live in and the new earth and, and new creation that's going to be around us, there's going to be this capacity to eat. In fact, it says there's trees with fruit on them in heaven and the fruit is for Life it is to celebrate life. It's not to maintain life. It is there's going to be eating in heaven. That, and that's going to be something special for some of us here. That we're going to get to have food in heaven when we don't need food, but it's going to taste, I think it's going to taste pretty good. What do you think? And, of course, the unique body of the Son of God, corruption never touched him, never touched his body while it was entombed. Corruption never, the, the decomposing process that would come to most bodies, like Lazarus. You think about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead four days after he's dead. He's already starting to decompose. And his sister's already saying, says like, you know, well, don't, you roll the stone away there. Um, it's going to be a smell. He's already decomposing. And yet the Lord raised him up and said, loose the grave clothes. And I just happened to feel that he was no longer smelling of, of, of corruption, of decomposition. But Jesus, his body never decomposed. And here's the second thing. What does the bodily res resurrection of Jesus mean for us in these bodies that we live in? What does it say about our bodies? Now, we know this, that his body is the first fruits of our resurrection, meaning how he is right now is how we're going to be. C.S. Lewis said and pointed out in his classic book, Mere Christianity, that the body, the Christianity's view of the body is not one that says the body's evil. Our bodies are not evil. Is there sin in our nature? Yes, but this body here, this physical body here is not evil. This body can be used for good or it can be used for evil, right? 
And even people who don't know the Lord, who've never had a born-again experience, never had a redemptive experience with Christ, can still feel compassion for people and do good things with this body. Am I correct? doesn't mean that they, there's no good in people. It just means that this body is the instrument by which we carry out our actions. And so we are body, soul, and spirit. We don't have, C.S. Lewis pointed this out, we don't have a soul. We are a soul. We don't have a body. We are a body. And we don't have a spirit. We are spirit. And the amazing thing at death is when the spirit separates from the body. You remember James says that works without faith is dead just like the body without the spirit is dead. The spirit is kind of like the life within us, the God breath that's in us. I want to take you to Romans chapter 12 to an important passage because just to show you that the Bible doesn't look adversely on our physical bodies. In fact... Our bodies are instruments unto God. And listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. This body, this physical body we live in is not evil. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, this is Romans 12, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies what you have right now that we're here in this room, to offer these as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Obviously, he's not saying corrupted and unusable to God, but these bodies as they are, are holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And here's what we do with this. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19, the Bible talks about our bodies being the temples of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. Can you, I know these words, we're used to these words. It's kind of like what Brad said about we're used, to, we're used to about the blood of Jesus, but someone that maybe come in has never heard that. But listen to, to what Paul wrote to the Corinthians. He said, and these were people who were having enormous issues in some of their practices. He says, do you not know that your bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit? Your body, my body, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. When Christ purchased us through his blood, we cease to be ownership. He has the ownership. And so he says, the ownership that he has, he looks at our bodies as the temples of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit resident within us. And I know we may ask, well, what about sin? What about the sin nature? In light of these passages, the scripture tells us sin comes when we're drawn away by our own lust. Listen to James chapter 1 verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and entice. And it's not necessarily the body that's doing this, but we all know that the body is what wants to be pandered to, right? We have things, we have things that we're drawn to, the, the physical pleasures of life that, that we, you know, who doesn't like chocolate? I could eat a whole bowl of chocolate. 
but it wouldn't be good for me. Who doesn't like banana pudding, especially my wife's banana pudding? We have these appeals physically. doesn't mean that our bodies are evil. It means that we can get pulled away from the purpose of God by the things that please us through our senses. And this is the last point I'm going to make. It, it just, I'm just wanting to say that our bodies, I want you to see your body is no longer something that you don't like. And, and we all go through that stage, right? Wish we're athletically, when you're in high school, you want to be faster, you want to be bigger, you want to be stronger, you want to play sports, you want to play sports with, with, you know, some measure of success. And that, that was for me, it was just, I was too little to be out there playing, really, 135 pounds, you shouldn't be playing football, but nobody convinced me I shouldn't be out there. But we wanted, we just don't like our, I didn't like my nose, I didn't like certain things about me and and don't we all kind of have things like that? But it doesn't mean that God did, made a mistake in creating us how he created us. But he created us with the body the, that we have so that we could turn around and give that body to him. Here's my last point. And I'll, I'll just tell you that I reworked this message because my opening lines that I was going to read, I thought about right, starting with this. Faster than a speeding bullet more powerful than a locomotive, can leap tall buildings at a single bound, and everybody knows who that is, right? Superman. Wonder Woman. New movie out on Wonder Woman. And Guardians of the Galaxy. Star Trek. How about that? You know there's clubs for Star Trek? Can you imagine? It's not true. It's, it's fictional. Thor does not exist. Wonder Woman is a comic just made to life. But why are we so drawn to like superhuman? And you said, why would you think about that? Because I just think it'd be cool to appear and disappear. I don't know, wouldn't that be cool to just appear and disappear? And I hope. Because Jesus appeared and disappeared and we were resurrected like him, that we're going to be able to appear and disappear. He says, well, how do you do that? Molecularly, I do not understand that. But I don't understand how Christ's molecular body functions. But I do know this, that how he is, we will be. And I don't think it's for displaying those sort of things. It just means that something very in, in just powerful beyond our comprehension is going to happen to us when Christ returns. And the dead in Christ, their literal bodies all over this planet is going to be raised, that body. And I know how we start thinking about people buried at sea, about people who, you know, all of the people in, in 9-11 that they found no remains of. All of those bodies, the Lord knows every single one of them. And this is the interesting thing, that at the end of time when everything is settled, every person that's ever lived righteous or outside of God's redemption, every single one of those people are going to be raised again. Every one of them. Those who accepted the Lord, those who received his work of redemption, 
is going to be ushered into eternal bliss with him. And those who rejected his terms, rejected his work of redemption, and this ought to cause us to think about where our family members are, our friends are, our neighbors are. All of them are going to be cast, their bodies are going to be raised up. Their bodies are going to be raised up and changed in a way that they're going to spend an eternity in hell. Tragically, when they don't have to be there. And that just tells you when God created us in our mother's wombs, when I was created, he created me with this for eternity. He created you for eternity. He had eternity in mind when he created each one of us. And he wanted so much for us to spend eternity with him that he sent his only son in one of these to lay down his life voluntarily shed his blood so that we could be redeemed from our sins and spend eternity with him. Listen to 1 John 3, 2, and I'll finish with this. And the praise team can come up. He says, dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known, and that is the question, isn't it? There is a little bit of a mystery, maybe a, a big mystery, about how all of that will work. You know, I watched the other night, Heaven is for Real. And I got so emotional during it. And right behind it was, I can only imagine, and I, I, I told Brenda, I said, I can't watch both those movies back to back. I'll be a mess. I, I, you know, you'll have to help me to bed. But just that kid having these, this sight of heaven and seeing his, uh, the grandfather and, and seeing a sister there and you know, and him communicating that to his family and to people and how the absurdity of it in the church almost broke that church apart because someone's like, well, you know, you're just a kid. What, is, what can he know? And, and yet he got this little bit of a glimpse, and, and that is not what we take on the same level as Scripture, right? We will take that at the same level as Scripture. So there's this mystery here, and, and John even points it out. And he's writing this late in his life. He said, it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when Christ appears, we know this much. We know this much. We shall be like him. We will be like him. For we will see him as he is. And so will we be. I don't know about you, but that takes a weight off of me, knowing what my final state will be. Whenever the last day I live, I know the promise that he's given me. And with the miracle of the resurrection of our Lord, how is it that we can't expect miracles today? I want you to stand with me. The gospel boils down. God created you. God created you for his own purpose. God did not create the heavens and the earth because he was missing out. He was absolutely complete in himself. No lack whatsoever. But the Bible says that he created all things for his own delight. 
for his own enjoyment. He created you and me for his enjoyment. He sent his son to rescue us, to pay for our sin. And he was raised from the dead for our justification. And through redemption, he lives in us, right? He lives in us, giving us... How about that for an advantage in your battles? He lives in you. Give you an advantage in your struggles, in your disappointments, in your regrets, in your shame, in your sorrows. He gives us the impetus to resist temptation. Whether we do so or not, sometimes we fail in that. But yet he gives us the resistance to it. The power to resist. And he gives us also the power to embrace the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is opposite to the things that the, the flesh desires. So I want to encourage you this morning. Resist the things that pull you away from the Lord. Surrender yourself to Him on a daily basis. Surrender to God today this day give him this day give him this moment surrender yourself to him afresh and anew and some of you need a breakthrough some of you need something to happen in your circumstances some of you have been praying for a miracle and I just feel like that I want to call you to this altar to come and stand here and say, Lord, I surrender this need for a miracle to you. And I, I'm asking for a breakthrough. I'm asking for you to do something in my life. And for us to ever say to anyone, well, that's just the way I am. Well, God wants you to change. God wants me to change. He wants all of us to change more and more into his likeness. So as we sing this, I want you to come and just stand at this altar. And if you need a breakthrough, if you need... God to touch you, you need healing if you need something to happen in your family, please bring it to this altar and, and bring it to him and give it to him this morning as we conclude this service bring it to him hallelujah hallelujah thank you Lord, believe God for a miracle Lord we believe you for miracles we believe you for miracles for miracles for our family need healing he wants to heal you come and bring it hallelujah thank you Lord thank you Lord praise God praise God hallelujah hallelujah Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Believe. For 